Hi, I'm Meredith Roden, and I'm the host of The Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm here with academics editor Jared Gans, who spoke with more than 15 faculty and students this week who have just been horrified about the state of the psychology department building, uh, which is on G Street. Jared, what can you tell us about the complaints that students and faculty have been bringing forward? The most pressing issue is a sewage overflow that has shut down all but one bathroom in the building. But there are also other problems such as water leaks, a spread of mold, rodents and cockroaches are reportedly in the building. How long have these issues been going on? The current sewage overflow issue began two weeks ago with an overflow in the third floor restroom, but faculty said that they have dealt with problems almost on a consistent basis. Cynthia Warbeck, an associate professor of psychology, said she has been at the university since 1985, and for the entirety of her time at GW, mold and water leaks have been rampant in the building. How have they tried to address this? Faculty said that hundreds of fix-it requests have been filed to the university complaining of the different assortment of issues going on in the building, and an anonymous complaint was filed by a faculty member to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which looks into poor working conditions. The administration is currently conducting an investigation into the conditions that faculty and students are dealing with in the building. Have there actually been health concerns, students facing illness or faculty facing illness? Right. Faculty and students said they are majorly concerned with the effects these issues could have on people's health. Uh, the One of the main concerns is people who are struggling with asthma. Breathing in the mold, breathing in the sewage from the overflow is very concerning for their breathing. There are also faculty members who are pregnant and there are concerns for the effects it could have on the pregnancy. And just generally exasperating health issues that are already there, but made that much more severe by the issues going on in the building. So there's been no reported cases of illness directly correlated to this yet, but there's just concerns that it could happen. It is mostly concerns with increasing the severity of already existing medical issues. So what was the university's response to the OSHA complaint? The university originally was preparing to do a complete overhaul of the HVAC systems in the building, but they announced they announced last week that they will actually not be overhauling the HVAC system this summer due to high expenses for the change. Have you heard from faculty and students about their response to the university not doing anything, essentially? Andrew Gepti, who is a third-year doctoral student in the psychology department, said the university has mostly been giving what he calls band-aid solutions to the problems. He said they are dealing with the single direct problems such as the sewage overflow itself, but they are not dealing with the broad structural problems that are really troubling the building and all of its inhabitants. Other than the health effects that faculty and students are concerned about, Are there any other things that they are worried about happening now that their building is in the state? Paul Poppin, who is a professor of psychology, said the department no longer invites guest speakers to come into the building to give lectures. Instead, they hold their events in the Marvin Center because they don't think anybody should be coming in and seeing all the problems going on with the building. Also, faculty have spoken to prospective students who have turned down offers from GW about why they have chosen other universities, and they said one of the top reasons students give as to why they did not come to GW's psychology department is the problems with the building. They're concerned that the state of the building is actually affecting their academic and research profile. Mm -hmm. 
faculty have made note of how much research money the staff brings in, but they are very concerned that this will affect the health of the people who are already in the psychology department and it will affect their ability to recruit more students to come in the future. Thanks for telling us more about this, Jared. Thanks for having me. I'm here with finance editor Zach Schoenfeld to talk about what graduates of GW are doing after they get their diploma. Zach, what can you tell us? The university just released what they call the First Destination Survey, which is a questionnaire that's sent to graduating seniors in the six months after they graduate. So this year's survey is based off the, the class of 2018, and it found that Things were pretty consistent for the most part from years before, but there were a few different small changes. The first of which being that the proportion of students working for the public sector, so things like the federal government mainly, uh, decreased by 2% within the last year as well as a smaller proportion of graduates were making less than $30,000 a year this year, so salaries for the most part did go up slightly for recent graduates. And when you talk to officials, why did they say these changes had come about? Yeah, so for the small decrease in federal and public sector hiring, they mainly pointed to factors that were not specific to GW, um, with recent federal hiring freezes and government shutdowns, they have said, has delayed a lot of people that were trying to seek jobs in the federal government. Officials also told us They've been talking to officials at different universities who work in career services, and they've said that they've also been facing similar trends in the past years due to some of these same factors. So it doesn't appear to be anything specific to GW. And were there any other changes that were significant and stood out to you? Most of the rest stayed the same. The The vast majority of graduates are staying in the Mid-Atlantic in different jobs, whether that be in D.C. or in the in the local area as well, and, that's, and those percentages pretty much stayed very consistent to years in the past. The, the survey results are all based off uh, participation of recent graduates, and compared to a lot of other universities that do similar surveys, we get a lot of input from students and more information from, from recent graduates than other, than other students. Uh, one expert who works uh, in career services at another university said it's pretty standard to have what they call the knowledge rate, which is how many graduates they know what, exactly what they're doing. So for a typical university, experts have told us that it runs about 65%, knowing about where 65% of graduates, where they are, what they're doing. But here at GW, that's about 84%. And that's because of in the recent years, they've started using different tools to increase the information that the university has. So one of those is Handshake, which is the university's job searching portal. Students and recent graduates who have put inputted into their profile um, some different information about where they are now after they've graduated. Officials have actually looked at that data and used it to include in, this, in these survey results. Well, did officials say why they have invested so heavily in these technologies and in getting better information about graduates? Officials, when we talked to them, said they were really committed to ensuring that students after they graduate had plans, whether that be going on to get a graduate degree or going to their first job. And so they really emphasize to us that they want students to know that the Center for Career Services doesn't just stop when you get your diploma. So for the 13% uh, of students who are still seeking a job, you know, six months after graduation, they're still trying to reach out to those students and help them find employment, even though they may, may no longer be a student. Well, thanks for talking to us about this story, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm here with Health and Sciences editor Shannon Millard to talk about some disability discrimination complaints that were filed with the Department of Education. 
Shannon, what can you tell us? So earlier this year, the complaints were first listed on the Department of Education website on February 7th, and there were two complaints. Uh, so the first one was filed under Academic Adjustments to Effective Communication, and uh, the investigation was into whether GW denied an individual benefits because of their disability. We're not exactly sure what the benefits entail because that's all the information we have right now on that. And the second complaint was filed under free appropriate public education to treatment of post-secondary students. And that one launched an investigation into whether university officials uh, retaliated against an individual for protesting disability discrimination. So we're not sure if it's a faculty member, a staff member, or a student, but it is someone at the university. What's new about these cases that you can update us on? As of the last search that was conducted by the Department of Education of all pending uh, discrimination cases. When you talk to officials, what information could they provide for you? They said that uh, one of the complaints, they didn't specify which of the complaints, um, but one of them has been withdrawn uh, voluntarily by the individual who initially submitted the complaint. University spokeswoman Marilee Seller said that the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights is obligated to review all of the complaints that uh, are submitted to the office in that it can close a review of a case for reasons like um, the complainant withdrawing the complaint, um, that the complaint is about matters that are not within the Office of Civil Rights jurisdiction, or that there just is not a violation. So those, all of the above could be reasons why a complaint would no longer be listed on the Department of Education website. Were there any other questions that officials declined to answer? University officials uh, declined to say how the university responded to the two inquiries. And beyond the information we already had about the two complaints, they did not elaborate on uh, what the complainants alleged against GW. So this isn't the first time that GW's policies have been called out for disability discrimination. Can you tell us about a another recent case that this happened? Yes, in last January, there was a federal probe into the accessibility of GW's websites. Officials developed an online accessibility plan to improve the accessibility of GW's websites for visually impaired individuals. Thanks for the update, Shannon. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm here with culture editor Sydney Lee to talk about what seniors absolutely have to do before they graduate. Sydney, what is your top pick for an activity around the district? Well, our reporter came up with a ton of different things that seniors should definitely check out before they leave, but one of our top ones is to visit the National Museum of African American History and Culture. We put this one on the list because it's been really hard to get in and see the exhibit. Um, since it opened in September of 2016, it's been like crazy, like so many people have been trying to go. Um, but now that it's calmed down a little, there's walk-up entry and seniors can go check it out. What else would you suggest that seniors go out and explore before they leave? So I would definitely recommend to visit the observation deck at the CEB Tower. It's in Arlington, so you could definitely take the metro there. And it's only a $16 student rate ticket. Is it a good place to like get photos? Would you recommend it as a good cityscape? Yeah, for sure. You can see a view of all of the most famous monuments, and there's also cool interactive lessons about the nation's history there. And after seniors have treated themselves, they also need to be thinking about what to get there are other senior friends for graduation, so I know that contributing culture editor Molly Kaiser has looked into some gifts that are good for seniors. 
Molly, can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. So I have picks for some gifts that I think any senior would be happy to receive. So my first one is a gift card to the new Crumbs and Whiskers Kitten Lounge pop-up in Georgetown. This Instagrammable destination features 20 to 25 kittens that are up for adoption. Meanwhile, you can also um, dine on light cafe fare. I would suggest maybe getting your friend a gift card, but also being willing to go along with your friend, take some pictures of them. Yeah, you need a photographer. Absolutely, yes. So I would suggest going in a group on this one. Uh, What's your last pick? My last pick is there's a brand of candles called Homesick Candles, and each one is themed by a city and is supposed to have smells that kind of remind you of a certain city or a certain place. So they do have one for Washington, D.C., and the scents for this one are cherry blossoms, sandalwood, and also cement, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. Cement is more of an undertone, as they describe it, but I like to see it as an opportunity for seniors to be reminded of D.C. every time, or graduating seniors to be reminded of D.C. every time they light up their candle in their new space. Um, It can be like they're taking a walk along the cherry blossoms at the Tidal Basin. Well, thanks for the advice, Molly. Absolutely. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Meredith Roten and features culture editor Sydney Lee. This podcast is produced by assistant video editor Jacob Fulvag and podcast host Meredith Roten. Music is produced by Oak Studio. A special thanks to Jared Gans, Shannon Millard, and Zach Schoenfeld for joining us.